Good morning. Happy Easter. A good Resurrection Sunday to you all. This morning, I'd like you to direct your attention to the New Testament letter to the Hebrews and the 11th chapter. In just a moment, I'm going to read from verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Go to verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our great God and most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that though in this season of national crisis, of personal grief, when the cares of our hearts are many, your consolations, your words of comfort and peace cheer our souls. We thank you for uh, the way in which you have revealed yourself, not only in the written word of scripture, but in your incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, I pray that you would birth within us new life, new hope, new joy. And I pray that as we work our way through uh, the scriptures this morning, you would instill within us a greater love for you. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. In recent weeks, pictures of rainbows began popping up in people's windows across the nation. It's a trend that began in Italy, but it was quickly picked up around the world, including in our own country. Put, put simply, the point of these pictures is to cheer people up, to show solidarity with one another, and in our British context, to show support for the NHS, as on the front lines they battle COVID-19. Also, if we're honest, in this season of lockdown, it gives the kids something to do. 
But why a rainbow? Of course, they look pretty, but there's nothing there really that you can take hold of. There's, there's no substance. It's, it's all just sentiment, right? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Before the earth was created, there was murky, watery, stormy darkness. The first word spoken by God, our creator, in beginning the history of the universe were, let there be light. The separation of light from darkness prior even to the creation of contained, organized light sources was for God a priority. It is telling when at the conclusion of that first day, God examined his handiwork and he looks at the light and the darkness, the day and the night of the first day and saw that the light was good. But darkness would have its day. Taking root in the hearts and minds of people who thought they were getting enlightenment. The first couple were led to doubt the goodness of God's design, and instead of denying self for the love of God and humanity after them, they denied these higher ideals for their own satisfaction. The woman saw forbidden fruit and found that it was edible. It was good for food, and it was attractive. It was a delight to the eyes. So she took and she ate, as though there were no consequences for the human-divine relationship, or indeed for human flourishing. Adam was just hanging out on the sidelines, really, and, and, and quite passively goes along with it all, going along to get along. And all of us, either proactively or passively, have been going along with this pattern ever since, masking our resulting sins, pathologies, and fears with deflective blame-throwing and self-righteousness on one hand, or giving in to self-loathing on the other hand. In any case, whether it is self-righteousness or self-loathing, the center of our universe has been self. The pursuit of our own desires, according to the design we have planned for our own life. Man and woman, made in the image of God, took those ways in which they were like God, and it would seem traded those in for the one way in which they were not. Human innocence, purity, and peace died for the express purpose of knowing good and evil. It seems like a lousy trade-off. With the death of our essential goodness, came also the death of good relationship with God and, well, the entrance of death itself. Humans would die 
as a penalty for their sin against God. The world around us would decay and the very ground would be cursed, making work tiresome, difficult, and even dangerous. Fast forward through the centuries, the darkness has spread, eating away at all that was good about humanity and creation still. People's wickedness was so great that it would later be said that every intention of the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually. Everyone was violent, totally corrupt, without fear of God, love for neighbor, or care for creation. Then, in that darkness, a ray of light. A son is born, and they call his name Noah, which means rest, saying, this one will bring us relief from the agonizing labor of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. And so he did. In a world of relentless wickedness, Noah was devoted to God and his righteousness. Surrounded by violence, he was a man of peace. Whereas the world was stained by deep corruption, Noah was clean. We are told in the text with which we began that Noah was a man of faith. That is, he had assurance of things hoped for. He had conviction of things not seen. He obtained commendation by God by his faith, understanding that God created the universe by his word and made all that we see out of things that were unseen. By faith, he drew near to God. By faith, he believed that God exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And so Noah committed to a life diligently seeking God. Blameless among his contemporaries, he stood out. But he was, he was not content to be right with God to walk with God, to live a good, righteous life on his own in a form of spiritual self-isolation. No, Noah is called elsewhere a preacher of righteousness. He did justice. He loved kindness. He walked humbly with his God. But because he loved his neighbor, he called other people to join him in the righteousness that comes by faith in God, to, to join him in following God, to join him in believing that God exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Away from the injustice, cruelty, and godlessness of the prevailing self-centered culture, Noah pled with people, to turn from their wicked ways and to embrace the Lord, their creator. But they didn't. God said, effectively, 
This world needs a reset. It, it needs a, a good wash. It's time for a cleansing. He said, it's going to rain. And then it's going to rain some more. And it's not just going to be rain from above as the heavens are split in a way like they've never been before and the waters pour from above, but the fountains of the deep are going to break open the soil of the earth and all will be flooded. And my servant Noah, he needs to quarantine himself in safety. He needs a boat. But the, the plans of God are so vast, he's going to need something bigger than just a boat, uh, a boat for himself. Uh, he, he needs an ark. Yes, there would be a lot of devastation, but the plan of God is that there would also be a lot of salvation. This ark would house enough animals to repopulate the world. It would house whoever, along with Noah, believed God and diligently pursued him. God is righteous. People are rebellious. But there is salvation from the coming storm for whoever trusts in the Lord. You, you could be saved if when the rains fall, you have passed through that one door and you are safe inside the ark. Noah might have pled as he went about building this ark. Enter through that way. Enter through that door. You will be saved. Join us. Get on board. You will be saved. But would they be saved? When the rains began to fall, Noah's wife had walked up the ramp and through the door. His three sons and their wives had walked up the ramp through the other side of the door. But no one else. An ark full of animals, a man, and his family. Everyone could have been spared if people had only listened to the preacher of righteousness, the flood would not have even been necessary. Many could have been saved if only they had not laughed when Noah pled with them this is the only way to be saved. Everyone could, many could, few would. But for those few who would, there was salvation. They made it through the storm. And after weeks, no, months of discomfort, growing restlessness, and seemingly endless lockdown, they made it out on the other side. The Lord said, 
I will never again curse the ground because of human beings. Even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. As long as the earth endures seed time and harvest. Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will not cease. I will establish my covenant with you. That never again will every creature be wiped out by flood waters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. God directed the gaze of Noah and his, his family upward and said, See there, there's the sign of my covenant with you. Noah and his family looked up into the sky and there they, they saw as the light of the sun broke through the receding clouds and bounced off and broke through and were carried away by the moisture in the air and they saw it. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, a multicolored arch like a bow. But this bow was not pointed at the earth in judgment, as though God were aiming it at the world yet again, but upwards. God would look at the world and see all the ways in which we fall short of his glory and goodness, and he would remember, no. I've hung up my bow. I used it once to strike everyone down, but never again. So the rainbow is more than a meteorological phenomenon. It is a theological promise. It is something that God says. It is a theological promise with universal appeal. He says it to us. And this theological promise with universal appeal has a relational purpose to give us hope, comfort, and peace as we love God and our neighbors. It is like Noah's name, a promise of rest, of relief, that the judgment of God has been turned away and we can live in peace. But although Noah did indeed bring some relief and was used to secure the future of the world as we know it, his relief, his rest was not eternal, nor was it unshakable. Many saviors, men and women of faith would come after him. You can read their stories in brief here in this very chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, as it recites a list of men and women who believed God and it was counted to them as righteousness. Men and women who not only believe that God exists in some abstract terms, but believe that he rewards those who seek him 
so they sought him. But great though these men and women were, their salvation also fell short. Indeed, Hebrews 11 concludes after commending these people with the words there in verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The centuries pass, nations rise and fall, kings come and go. The world continues to rebel against God and his good, righteous instructions for humanity. The darkness has continued to spread. And with it come storms, some of which are unquestionably consequences of specific rebellious things that we have done. All of which, all of the storms of life are, are, are in some general way, at least, consequences of a world that not only individually, but systemically has been corrupted by sin, death, and decay. God is just, so he must punish sin. God is faithful, and every time those storms roll in and go away, he looks at the light he created as it passes through the waters of the sky, and he sees the bow that he has hung up, and he remembers he has promised never to judge all of us again. And God is love. So he must forgive sinners. But how does he do that? Let there be light, God said, into the darkness. The light of the world came into our darkness in the person and work of Jesus Christ the eternal radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature was made flesh and dwelt among us. I am the light of the world, he said. Whoever comes to me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The darkness didn't like that. The darkness not comprehending quite what was happening, not understanding fully the significance of what was going on, pushed back. Noah and all of those after him are pointing to something else, to someone else. And the text says something better, but at first it doesn't look that way. It doesn't even look human. Some fleshy, bloody mass hung up like a skinned lamb in a butcher shop. They point to a man hanging on a cross, 
torn to pieces. But life is a photograph. It's a motion picture. And the scene changes. A wealthy man points down into a tomb carved out of stone. And if you go down into the tomb, you see the body that was on the cross, now washed, prepared for burial, wrapped in clean clothes, laying there. You can see now that the man on the cross was indeed a man. That mass of flesh was human. The blood is gone. The dust, the decay, that here is a beaten, bloodied, bruised body of a man. He was hastily laid in the tomb. There wasn't time to properly prepare him for a fitting burial, uh, albeit what he had was more fitting than what most purported criminals received. Those who laid him there committed to return the first day of the week to further prepare him with, with spices and clothing. They leave, the tomb is sealed, and it is guarded. The scene changes again. This time, it is a group of women once more pointing at the tomb. And this time you see that the tomb is empty. And you hear these women excitedly proclaim, He is risen. Darkness didn't win the fight. It couldn't overcome the light. In fact, the murder of Jesus on the cross was all part of the plan. Yes, from, from a, a very real human standpoint, everything done to Jesus was unjust. And scripture leaves us in no doubt that Jesus was a victim of great wickedness. But the narrative changes a bit when we understand that Jesus submitted to this voluntarily. Indeed, he gave himself to it. Why? The scriptures say that he gave himself for our sins. The curse we should have carried was placed on him. The bow of God's judgment that should have been aimed at us but could not be because of God's promise in the rainbow was instead aimed at Jesus. First Peter chapter three, verse 18 says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. It goes on to compare in that very text, our salvation to Noah and his family's salvation but remember, ours is better and indeed greater. Both stories, Noah's and Jesus's, tell us of human rebellion called sin, of 
God's righteous justice. As Noah preached, there might have been an invitation to board. All who boarded could be saved, but only those who gathered on the boat would be saved. The story of Jesus tells us that God is still angry with sin, but there is salvation for all who come to Jesus Christ. Noah's name might have meant rest, but only Jesus could really say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. The world was destroyed in the days of Noah. Christ's body was destroyed. The flood washed away the sinners of the world. Christ washes away the sins of the world. The ark brought eight people safely through water. Jesus, no longer dead, but risen, brings an innumerable number of whoever believes safely through fiery trials and death into his eternal life, setting us an example for how to suffer well. You see, the salvation of Jesus is not a skippity doodah salvation that leads us merrily on our way as, there, as though there are no more storms, as though there is no more sin or, or sickness or death, but rather it gives us something that gets us through the storm, something that is greater than all of our sins, something that is more powerful even than death itself. Stop standing in the rain of uncertainty and suffering, even the sickness of this present moment, looking up at the sky in the rain, asking, why? And get on the boat. There's no time. Get on the boat. Storms don't last forever, the pictures say. At the end of the rainbow, there is a golden sky, the pictures say. But I'm not calling you to trust in a cliche. I'm calling you to trust in Christ. If you would see the rainbow, you've got to make it through the rain. And if you would make it through the rain, you have to get on board the boat that God has appointed. And if you would get on the boat that God has appointed, you have to pass through the only way, the only door that leads to your eternal rest. When you see the rainbow, don't settle for the world's mythical pots of gold at the bottom of each one. I want you to look to the top of the rainbow and I want you to enter into the presence of God and experience the power of God and live life even as Noah and those after him did for the pleasure of God. And therefore, Hebrews says in verse one of chapter 12, no, they didn't obtain it, but there's something better for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every single weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance this race that is set before us. 
looking to Jesus, founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, the joy that was laid before him, the joy of seeing people turn from their sin, the joy of seeing people trusting in him, the joy of people who were dead in sin, raised to walk in newness of life, the joy of people who were bound by death, hell and sin, all of their fears, all, all of their weaknesses set free to live forever in the presence of the king. For the joy that was set before him, the joy of you and me, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus on the cross became Jesus in the grave, became Jesus up from the grave. Risen, ascended, exalted, reigning over us. He is in control of this very moment. And all things are according to his plans and purposes, being worked out for our good, indeed, our very salvation, if we would trust in him and seek him. Consider him, verse 3 says, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. How many of you began the year 2020 thinking you had 2020 vision of what the year had? You felt like you could see pretty good, but there's, uh, it's interesting, we tend to see only the good things. It should lead us to believe that much of what we think we see is an illusion. Because always as we look back on a year, we see plenty of bad. You had plans. You had hopes. You had dreams. You felt like maybe, just maybe, you would be able to tick those boxes throughout this year at the start of a new decade. Perhaps you had fears. There were things that you foresaw that might get in the way or could potentially pose a problem. Some of you perhaps say, I, I, I know I, I've learned better than to do that. I just take life as it comes. But be honest. There are things you expect to come and things you do not. At the start of the year, even a month or so ago, not one of you watching this Easter Sunday broadcast could have imagined you would be doing so today. You could not have imagined the global scale of the crisis that has brought you to view this Easter Sunday message today. Perhaps you're not even a follower of Jesus Christ. You may tick the Christian box on a census form, but you have no real attachment to the faith, and you could not even articulate the faith you say you have, but don't really. Or perhaps you identify 
however devoutly or indevoutly, as of another faith, or indeed of none. But today, for some reason, you find yourself watching a Christian sermon from the Bible, preached by someone who, for a change, actually believes the Bible and cares about whether you do or not. Perhaps you do believe in Jesus. Perhaps you do follow him. You are seeking him. But there are ways in which you have still been disobedient. Perhaps you're not committed to um, intentional belonging fellowship in the life of a local church. Perhaps you've trusted in Christ, but you, you've been disobedient in that first stage of the Christian life. That is, you are to, to be baptized as a, a symbol of your faith in Jesus Christ, a proclamation of your belief in the history of Christ, your unity with Christ, your purity from Christ, and your eternity with Christ. But, but, but you, you've laid that aside. Perhaps you are a follower of Christ who is seeking to, in all ways, faithfully obey him and follow him, but you're struggling right now, like so many, with fear, with anxiety, with doubt. All of you thought you saw clearly. You perhaps dared to think you had some control. Not a one of us can say or think that now. In the days of Jesus, the city thought they saw clearly. He's our political savior. The religious establishment thought they saw clearly. He must be demon-possessed. Jesus' friends thought they saw clearly. He is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. But, but that doesn't mean he's going to die. And yet at the end of that holy week, Jesus died. He died because... He was not less than people's expectations. He was much more. He was not less than Noah and people like him. He was someone better. And his salvation is something greater. And he calls you to join him. To get in the boat. To believe. To seek him. Diligently to turn from your sin and to consider. Will you make it through the rain? Will you live to see the light of God shining through the moisture of the air? Those colors emanating from the very throne room of the Lord. The glory of the Lord, shining round about many people, saved 
by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, giving him praise. His salvation is exactly what we need right now. Indeed, we've always needed it, even before this present crisis. But it's not too late. Once we believed, we saw everything. And we were proud in our ways, but fools in our hearts. But now if there's one thing that we have seen, it's that we are utterly broken and without control. We need to be saved. Will you trust him this day? Will you call upon his name? Maybe you have before and you need to be reminded of the gospel and call out to him again. Lord, I believe in you and, I, and I've committed to you and I know, I know whom I have believed. And I believe that he is able to keep what I have committed even through this storm until the day I obtain possession of that wonderful inheritance, that wonderful rest in Christ. And maybe you haven't trusted in Christ at all. Now is your time. Not to be like the people in the days of Noah who laughed, but to look and see the source of your salvation and to live, and to live indeed in freedom forevermore. Amen.